You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, as, as we tackle chapter 28, I've titled today's message, She's a Witch. <laughs> now, as I said that, maybe some of you that were raised in the 80s like I was, maybe you just had like a Monty Python flashback from like, like Search for the Holy Grail, where there's this scene where the townspeople, they, they capture this woman and they bring, they bring her to serve Vladimir and they say, we found a woman and she may be a witch. And he's like, well, how do you know she's a witch? And, and somebody's like, she looks like one. And, and then he's like, well, well, what makes you think that she's a witch? And, and some guy says, well, she turned me into a newt. Well, you don't look like a newt now? I got better. Uh, well, this morning, we, we meet the so-called witch of Endor. And as we meet her, we discover what the Bible really teaches about witchcraft. But first, as we pick up verses one and two, we, we see that David has been turned away. David's been turned away. So verse one, <clears throat> it says, in those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. And David said to Achish, very well, you shall see what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So now this starts with David getting a promotion. The, the, the king of the Philistines has now promoted David to being his personal bodyguard, a very, very prestigious promotion. Now with that, I should point out that, that in many ways, these first two verses are, are sort of a, a, a bridge between chapter 27 and chapter 29. They kind of bridge the gap between 27 and 29. Now with that, we're going to see that, that the next few chapters kind of detail the end of Saul, the end of King Saul, not just the end of his reign as the king, but really the end of his life. But now with that, like I said, these two verses kind of bridge the gap, the bridge between 27 and 29. And keep in mind, back in chapter 27, we saw that, 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 that David, for the last year and a half of his life, has been living in the enemy camp. He's, he's defected to the enemy. He's living like the enemy. And, 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 and in many ways, now the, 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 the king, Achish, the king of the Philistines, is convinced that he's got David right where he wants him. He's convinced that, that David, who was once the great giant slayer of Israel, is now the slave of the Philistines. Philistines. So now with that, Achish the king is going to launch an attack on David's former people, the Israelites. He launches this attack and, and, and now he, he sends David to the front lines of the attack. And I think in many ways, uh, this, is, uh, this was as much of a mind game as it was a military strategy. Now by mind game, what I mean is, is that once the people of Israel see David in the front lines, let alone the king of Israel sees David in the front lines. I mean, David, the, the former giant slayer himself, is now leading the attack against his old people, against the people of Israel. And so once they see David, believe me, the, the, it, it's going to strike fear in the hearts of the Jewish people, let alone in the heart of King Saul. And so it was a mind game as much as anything else. Now with that... Achish, the king of the Philistines, he trusts David, but later on in chapter 29, we're going to discover that, that his people, the troops of the Philistines, do not trust David. So much so that they kind of draw a line in the sand. They're like, you know what? If David's going with us, then we're not going. You have to choose between him or us. So at that point, the king basically says, David, you got to go home. It's time for you to turn around. Let me ask you, 
You ever, ever been put in an, in, a, in an awkward situation? Yeah, me neither. Uh, but you know, you ever, ever been put in one of these situations where, where you know, you, you have to put your, your, your money where your mouth is? You know, maybe you've been running your mouth, you've been talking all big, and now it's time to prove it. Well, I've been in one of those. In fact, I, 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 I dial back images of the fifth grade. How many people hated the fifth grade? You know, but I remember in the fifth grade, you know, kind of running my mouth, talking all big and bad. And I remember telling all my friends how I, how I knew Kung Fu. Now, what I meant to say was I was watching a show on TV called Kung Fu. But I was running my mouth and talking all big and bad and how I beat up this person and beat up that person, how I was jumped by a whole gang and I beat them all up because I knew Kung Fu. Well, now my friends wanted to, wanted to see me in action. They wanted me to put my money where my mouth was. And so one of my friends mouths off to one of the bigger kids, you know, like a sixth grader, you know, and, and, he's, and he's all like, hey, my friend Paul wants to kick your butt because he knows Kung Fu. And all of a sudden, I start feeling something weird in my stomach. Like, I don't know if I should run away or throw up. And, 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 and in the end, I, I don't know what was worse, what was more embarrassing, getting beat up in front of all my friends or uh, having all my friends find out that I was a complete and total fraud. Well, I think David was having one of those moments. These are one of those moments. He, he's, he's been talking smack. He's been running his mouth. He's been bragging about how he has been attacking his own people, Israel. His own, his own people, the Jewish people. Remember in chapter 27, he's, he's telling King Achish how he went over here and attacked the Jewish people. Went over there and attacked the jo Jewish people. And then went up here and attacked the Jewish people again. Turns out he was not attacking the Jewish people. In fact, chapter 27, verse 8 tells us what he was doing was he was making raids against the Geshurites, the Gerizites, and the Amalekites. And then we're told he basically killed everyone. Made sure there were no survivors who could, who could narc him out. No one who could rat him out. He killed everyone and then told the king he was attacking his fellow Jewish people. And now it's time to put up or shut up. Now uh, the, the, the king tells him, hey, it, it's time for you to go to the front lines and prove your loyalty by attacking the Israelites, by attacking your own people. And so, of course, at this moment, David's probably thinking, you know, shoot, what am I going to do? How am I going to get myself out of this one? You know, I, I, I've been leading King Achish on. I, I, I've been talking all this smack. He, he thinks that, I, that I'm out there attacking my own people. And now in just a few minutes, he's going to discover that I'm nothing but a big, fat fraud. And then all of a sudden, in that moment, the, the, the Philistine troops, the Philistine army, they start complaining about David. And they're like, you know what? If David's coming, then we're not going. You have to choose between him or us. So now the king sends David away. David probably, as he's riding his camel back home, probably wipes the sweat off his brow and goes, whew, that was a close one. And so now David's been turned away, but now as we pick it up in verses 3 through 10, we see that Saul, on the other end, turns to the witch of Endor. Verse 3, now Samuel had died, and all of Israel mourned uh, for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and necromancers out of the land. Let's pause here. Now, in many ways, by the way, uh, verse 3 should really be in parentheses. It's more like a parenthetical statement. What I mean by that is, is that the author is sort of, sort of going back in time and letting us know that Samuel's dead. You see, Samuel did not just now die. We know that Samuel's been dead for quite a while. In fact, Samuel's been dead since chapter 25, if you remember. So it's like the author's going back in time and letting us know that Samuel's dead. Why? Well, he's letting us know that, that the reason King Saul is not turning to, to, to Samuel for advice, like he's done all those other times. 
You know, the, the reason he's not saying, hey, Samuel, look, we're, we're, we're being invaded by the Philistines. We're under attack. I want you to seek God and get God's counsel, get God's wisdom. Ask God to tell us what we should do. The reason he's not turning to Samuel is because Samuel's been dead, and he's been dead for quite some time, since chapter 25. So he cannot turn to Samuel. Now, another interesting thing about this is that verse 3 goes on to say that, 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 that Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. It's letting us know something else about the past. It's letting us know that, that early on in, in, in King Saul's career, when he was, when he was a, a young and, 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 and zealous king, you know, he, he, he basically had a strong start. He had a, he had a passion for God. He, he, he started strong, but Saul's problem was that he started strong, but he didn't finish strong. You know, the, the Bible clearly condemns witchcraft. So therefore, Saul, he, he, out of zeal, he decides he's going to rid the land of everyone practicing witchcraft so that so he could carry out God's word that, you know, God condemns witchcraft. So he rids the land. He, he wipes them all out. He had a strong start, but the tragedy of Saul is that he had a poor finish. And so Saul reminds us that a strong start only counts as long as you finish strong. A strong start only counts as long as you finish strong. But Saul finished poorly, as we'll see in the next two or three chapters. Now with that, verse 4. And when Saul inquired, I'm sorry, that's verse 6, uh, verse 4. Then the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all of Israel, and they encamped at Geboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his, to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And a servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. Now, most English translations, like the New King James, for example, instead of saying medium, it says witch, the witch of Endor. And so, verse, verse 8, Saul disguised himself and put on other garments. Now, by the way, why was Saul disguising himself? Well, because he was the very one who, who many years before had outlawed witchcraft. And so now the very one who outlawed witchcraft in the first place is now trying to find a witch to give him guidance. So he shows up in a little disguise, you know, little glasses, little nose and the mustache. You know, he, you know, he shows up disguised, verse, verse 8. So Saul disguised himself and, and put on other garments and went. He and two men with him. And, and, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall say to you. And the woman said to him, surely you, you know what Saul has done and how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for me, for, for my life uh, to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord and said, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. So in many ways, Saul is, is like a lot of people today who, who frankly do not cry out to God until the bottom drops out. They don't turn to God. They don't cry out to God until things get bad. You know, you've probably seen this before. We've all seen someone who, you know, it, it's, it's when the bottom drops. It's when things get really, really bad. That's when they cry out and they start making deals with God, right? They're like, you know, God, get me out of this. I mean, you know, God, I, I promise if you get me out of this, I'll do anything. I'll even go to church. I'll do anything. Well, that's Saul. Saul's making deals. He's, 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 he's begging. He's pleading. He's in desperation. Why? Because the enemy's coming in like a flood. There's, there's no hope in sight. And so now desperately he's seeking to hear God's voice. He's trying to hear God's voice every way possible. You know, through, through dreams, through the Urim, through, through, through prophets. 
So in other words, you know, at night, you know, he, before he goes to bed, he's hoping God's going to speak to him through a dream, but, but there is no dream. God does not speak to him. And then he's looking for God's voice through the quote-unquote Urim. Now, if you remember, the Urim was used by, by the priest. It's called the Urim and the Thummim. Basically, two stones uh, on, the, on the priest breastplate that he would wear that they would use to try to discern God's will. You know, think of it sort of like, you know, the little magic eight ball we used to have as kids. You know, you, you ask a question, shake it up, you get an answer. That's kind of what they did. And so the problem is, is that, is that the priests were the ones who used that. But if you remember, back in chapter 22, Saul had killed all the priests. He killed all the priests, that is, except for one. There was one priest who remained. His name was Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech. Problem is that he was with David. He's on David's side. So that means he has the breastplate. He has the urim and the thummim. So, so Saul can't use those things because they're with David and the priest who has them there. And then there's the prophets. But he can't go to the prophets. Why? Well, we were just told the prophet Samuel is dead. Now, there were more prophets than just Samuel, however. In fact, it's believed that, that Samuel started up the school of prophets. But when you think about it, I mean, when, when you think about how Saul had brutally murdered all of the priests? Well, there was no prophet in his right mind that wants anything to do with Saul because the same thing's probably going to happen to them. And so he can't go to the priest. He can't go to the prophets. And so as a result, verse 6 says, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. God was not on speaking terms with Saul. <laughs> God's like, you know, talk to the hand. I have nothing to say to you. You see, what Saul didn't realize was that his sin had separated him from God. His sin had separated him from God. Even as it says in Psalm 66, verse 18, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Our sin separates us from God. And so really, Saul, for the last 10 to 15 years, has been rejecting God again and again and again. And so Saul's been rejecting God, and now God has rejected him. Reminds us that, that we cannot expect God to speak to us if we haven't been speaking to him. Or as it's been said, God honors no drafts where there haven't been any, de any deposits. And so now what happens? God's not speaking to him, so what does Saul do? Well, as, as commentator Thomas Pell put it, he said, In despair, Saul seeks at the mouth of hell what he was refused at the gate of heaven. So God won't speak to him, so now he turns to the dark side. He, he, he now seeks the witch, the witch of Endor, the medium of Endor. Now, by the way, that word medium there at the end of, uh, of verse 7, when it says medium or witch of Endor, it, it, it's a word in the original Hebrew that literally means someone who conjures an evil spirit. Write that down. Someone who conjures an evil spirit or a familiar spirit. In other words, they were not conjuring the dead. They're, they're, they're conjuring a demon who's impersonating the dead. So it's not your dead grandmother they're talking to. They're, they've conjured an evil spirit. They've conjured up a demon who's impersonating the person that's dead. That's what the word means, medium or, or witch. Uh, uh, someone who conjures an evil or a familiar spirit. And that's why, as we pick it up in verse 11 through 14, we see that over and over again in the Bible, witchcraft is condemned. So now verse 11. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. And, and, and when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. The Hebrew there literally means she screamed. Like she was stunned. She was astonished with what she saw. 
She cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You're Saul. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and he paid homage. So Saul pays the witch to conjure up Samuel. And then all of a sudden, judging by her reaction, it's like this is the first time she's ever seen anything like this. Now keep in mind, what, what she was used to seeing was, was that she was someone who, who, would, who, would, who would conjure up an evil spirit, a familiar spirit, a demon that would impersonate the dead. She's never actually conjured up the dead. She's never actually talked to someone who was dead. She's always used to conjuring up evil spirits. And so now all of a sudden, it, 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 it is, she's as shocked as everyone else is when she sees the real thing. She's never seen this before. She screams. Now listen, sometimes, you know, people, uh, you know, they, they kind of want to blend Jesus with witchcraft, or they want to blend Jesus with psychic activity or with occultic activity. I don't know about you, but I've met people over the years who, you know, maybe, maybe they were in the occult before they became a Christian, you know, they, but then they got saved. But before they got saved, they, 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 they were tapping into the power of darkness and, and, and you know, and, 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 and they had this kind of thing. But now that they're saved, it's like they, they, they want to mix Jesus with the power of darkness. It's like they have a hard time letting go. They, you know, they, they, they were like born with this power. They were born with this ability. So now they want to use that ability that they, that they got from darkness and they want to blend it with Jesus. They kind of want to have a mixture of the two. Interesting study by YouGov points out that one out of every five Americans has consulted a fortune teller, a medium, or a psychic. And it goes on to say that 41% of Americans believe that psychics have real supernatural abilities. Even more interesting is that a study by the Pew Forum found that 40% of Christians believe in psychics and have consulted psychics. 40% of Christians so we have this tendency that even though we, we, we believe in God, have a personal relationship with God, we, 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 we don't just seek his wisdom from here. We don't just seek his word and his counsel and his wisdom, but we also want to mix it. And so we go to the psychics, we go to the mediums, and, and, we, and we try to blend the two. What we have to understand is that the truth of the matter is, is that psychic activity, that, that, would, that would be everything from, from mediums to, to clairvoyance to, to aura readings, you know, psychic readings, what, all of it is clearly condemned over and over and over again throughout the pages of Scripture. Now, we don't have the time to get into every Bible verse that condemns it, but let me just give you one really good one. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, God says, I will also turn against those who commit spiritual prostitution by putting their trust in mediums or in those who consult spirits of the dead. I will cut them off from the community. Now, what's interesting about that verse in Leviticus is that in that verse, not only is, is witchcraft, psychic activity, mediums, all that sort of, not only is that being condemned, but if you notice, God says that, that it's spiritual prostitution. Meaning that, that from God's perspective, that when his people, people who love him, people that know him, people who have a personal relationship with God, when they nevertheless consult psychics, consult mediums, God feels like he's been cheated on. And, 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 and it's, to him, it's like spiritual prostitution. It's like, you're, it's like you're seeing someone on the side. You got a side chick or a psychic chick. And so he feels cheated on. 
It's spiritual prostitution. And so, as far as God's concerned, it's condemned. Not only does the, does the Word of God condemn psychic activity, but now as we pick it up in verse 15 down to the end of the chapter, we'll talk about what witchcraft is. Not only that it's condemned, but what is it? So verse 15, Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered and said, I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since, since the Lord has turned from you and, and, and has become your enemy? The Lord has, has done to you as, 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 as he spoke by me, for, for the Lord has torn your kingdom out of your hand and has given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor, and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. And the Lord will give the, the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once to the, uh, to, uh, to the length of the ground and, and filled with fear because, because of the words of Samuel. And there was no more strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you, and, and I've taken my life into my hand, and have listened to you what you've said to me, so now therefore you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. And he refused and said, I will not eat. And his servants, uh, but, but his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words, and he arose from the earth, and he sat on the bed. And now the woman had a, had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and, 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 and they ate. And then they arose, and they went away that night. Now let me ask you, you ever gotten news that, that was so bad it literally stopped you in your tracks? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's news that a loved one died or, or, or some tragedy has, has taken place. But whatever it was, it was, it was news that was so debilitating, so paralyzing, you couldn't do anything. You're, you're, you're literally paralyzed. You're, you're, you're literally just in shock. That's where Saul is. When he, when, 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 when he hears this news, when he hears this bombshell that was just dropped on him by Samuel. Now picture the scene. Saul has, has hired this witch to conjure up Samuel and to summon Samuel so that Samuel can give him divine revelation, so that Samuel can tell him what to do. But when Samuel actually does come on the scene, Samuel does not tell him what to do. Instead, Samuel pronounces judgment and says, tomorrow, both you and your sons are going to die and your kingdom's going to be given to David. And so the, the fact that, 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 that God actually allowed Samuel to come back from the dead, that was not an endorsement of witchcraft. Rather, that was a pronouncement of judgment. You see, this was a one-time exception. By God allowing this, he wasn't endorsing witchcraft. Rather, he, he, he's allowing Samuel to come back one last final time to pronounce this final judgment. You know, oftentimes you seek the psychic, you seek the, 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 the necromancer or whatever it is, the medium. You're seeking them to get some kind of blessing, to get some kind of, you know, some kind of word of, 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 of direction and knowledge and some kind of mystical leading. And that's not what he gets. He gets a word of judgment. Tomorrow, you and your sons are dead and your kingdom will be given to David. Let me ask you, 
when you picture witchcraft, when we say the word witchcraft, what do you picture in your mind? You know, when you, when you hear the word witch, what do you think of? I mean, you know, maybe, maybe if, you're, if you're from my generation, maybe you picture Samantha from, from Bewitch. Remember her? As she wiggles her little nose, you know, dee, 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 and you know, those spells are cast. You know, maybe, maybe picture the Wicked Witch of the West, right? You know, who, who comes up and she's like, I'll get you, my little pretty, and your little dog, too. <laughs> that's, my, that's my Wicked Witch of the West impersonation. You know, or, or, you know, or maybe you picture spells or incantations or, or you think of psychics and mediums, and, mediums and, and, and horoscopes and all these things. And listen, the truth is, is that all of those in the Bible do fall under the category of witchcraft. They all fall under the category of witchcraft. But you might be surprised by what the Bible also considers to be witchcraft. In fact, in the Bible, there are four different sins that the Bible connects to witchcraft. Four different sins the Bible connects to witchcraft. If you're, if you're taking notes, let me give them to you. Number one, rebellion. Number two, sexual sin. Number three, child sacrifice. And number four, drug use. Rebellion, sexual sin, child sacrifice, and drug use are all connected to witchcraft in the Bible. For example, number one, rebellion. Here we go back to, the, to, to 1 Samuel chapter 15, that time where, where Samuel uh, t- tells Saul to go and destroy all of the Amalekites. All means all. It means 100%. Destroy all the Amalekites. But Samuel shows up on the scene. He comes up and he says, hey, Saul, did you do all that God commanded you? Did, did you carry it out 100%? Saul's like, yeah, 100%. I, I obeyed completely, 100%. Samuel's like, really? What's that bleeding a sheep I hear in the background? Is that rack of lamb I smell on your breath? And who's this guy over here? And, and, and Saul's like, oh, this guy? Well, that's just my good buddy Agag, who happens to be the king of the Amalekites. Okay, so I didn't destroy all of them. He's a really good guy. And, you know, and I kept some of these sheep so we can offer sacrifices to God. But you see, he did not completely obey. And because he did not completely obey, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23 says, Samuel says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as a, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So it's interesting. Samuel says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, by the way, that word rebellion, it's the Hebrew word mari. And, and, and its root, it's, it's the word mara, which means bitter. In fact, mara, bitter, is the same word that's used back in Exodus chapter 15, where after God had miraculously rescued his people from Egypt, remember, he, he parts the Red Sea, the people pass through, he miraculously rescues them, but nevertheless, the people immediately start complaining and start grumbling. They're like, we don't have anything to eat, we don't have anything to drink. It's like you're teenagers, you know, just, you know, just complaining and complaining and complaining. And so it says in, in Exodus chapter 15, verses 23 and 24, it says, Now when the people came to Marah, which means bitter, when the people came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, and the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And the picture is that basically the people were just as bitter as the water of Marah. And so for the next 40 years, they keep grumbling and complaining. So here's the picture. The picture of the scripture when it says rebellion, and again, that root word means bitter. Rebellion or bitterness is as witchcraft. What it's saying is that, you know what? When we, in, in, in bitterness, choose to, de- to, 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 to defy God, when we choose to defiantly say no to God, like Samuel did, I'm sorry, like Saul did, 
When Saul uh, did not obey what God had said to do, when we defiantly choose not to do what God's called us to do, or when we in bitterness choose to point our finger at God and grumble and complain like the children of Israel did, then frankly, God, from his perspective, he views that rebellion, he reviews that bitterness no different than witchcraft. It's just as sinful and it's just as wrong in his art. So as far as God's concerned, witchcraft and rebellion hurt him just the same. That's number one. Number two, sexual sin is, is on the level of witchcraft. There was a time later on where, where Israel's led by King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. And, and, and in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 22, it says, When Joram saw Jehu, he asked and said, Do you come in peace, Jehu? And he answered, what peace can there be as long as there is so much prostitution and witchcraft from your mother, Jezebel? Now, some English translations will say harlotries, and some will say sexual sin. But the point of the matter is, is that sexual sin or sleeping around or prostitution or pornography, it's on the level as witchcraft. Now, think about this. A recent study revealed that 70% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women view pornography on a regular, if not daily, basis. Not only that, but a study by, by, by the hotel industry found that, that during so-called Christian conferences held at their hotels, during these Christian conferences, pornography is viewed 10 times more often than any other time. And so, yeah, we may not be mixing, you know, psychic activity, and, and witchcraft and spells into our Christianity, but some Christians are mixing pornography and other things, and God's saying, you know what? As far as he co he's concerned, they're both just as wicked. They're both just as sinful. And then number three, child sacrifice. There's a time where, 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 where the kingdom of Israel was led by, the, by its most wicked king. His name was Manasseh. And speaking of Manasseh, it says in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 6, it says, and he also, Manasseh, caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of, of the son of Hinoam. Now, that, that's a pagan god. This is pagan practice. It says he, he made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of, of the son of Hanoam, and he also practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So he, he was following pagan practices. We know that the pagans, you know, they, they were into witchcraft and sorcery and mediums and spiritists and all of this. And they were also into human sacrifice, actually child sacrifice. Now, on many occasions, they would burn uh, their, their newborn children. But then archaeologists in that part of the world, they, they have found uh, the, the, these clay jars with baby's bones in them, buried in, in, in the walls of a house. So what would happen was, was the pagans, they, they, they would take their newborn, it would be their firstborn son or daughter, their very firstborn, and they would stuff them in a clay jar and then bury that jar in the wall of their house as a way of dedicating their house to the pagan god that they worship. Now, before we point the finger at them and, and, and judge them for their cruelty, we should keep in mind that, that, that ever since 1973, when abortion was first legalized, more than 57 million babies have been aborted in our country. And according to the Alan Guttmacher Institute, which is the research arm of Planned Parenthood, some 250,000 Christian women have abortions every year. Now, having said that, however, we need to keep in mind that, that, uh, that yeah, the, the killing of an innocent life and witchcraft are both being condemned in the same verse, but that does not mean that, that abortion is the unforgivable sin. 
Listen, if, you, if you've been there, if this is a part of your past, a part of your life, a part of your history, you need to know that there's forgiveness in Jesus. You need to know that, that the guilt and shame and condemnation that you feel can all be washed away by the blood that flows from the cross. There's forgiveness in Jesus. And then number four is drug use. We find that in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, where it says the works of the flesh are, are, are evident, which are uh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, and revelries. And then he just kind of adds a little phrase and he says, and a whole bunch of other stuff that if you do these things, you're not going to go to heaven. Because he's the work of the flesh. Now you might say, well, no, wait a minute. I thought you said drug use was going to be on that list. Well, it was on that list. It was just labeled as something else. It was called sorceries. Some translations, witchcraft. Now that word sorceries, witchcraft, it's the Greek word pharmakia. We get the English word pharmacy from it. Now this word pharmacy, pharmakia, it literally is a word that means mind-altering drugs. So we ask ourselves, why is this word that means mind-altering drugs, this word pharmacy, pharmakia, why is it translated in our English Bibles as sorcery or witchcraft? Answer, because that's how it was used in that day. In that day when they would practice sorcery and witchcraft, they would use mind-altering drugs like marijuana. It was their, like their number one drug. But they'd use many mind-altering drugs to alter their state of consciousness, to get them in the state where they would tap into the spiritual realm. You know, we often say that things like marijuana, pot, you know, we call it a, 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 a gateway drug, right? The truth is drugs are a gateway. They're a gateway to witchcraft. They're a gateway to the occult. They're a gateway to, to the demonic realm. And, 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 and so when we use them, we're not just opening our minds, we're opening our lives to the demonic so here's the picture. When we, when we put all these things together, the picture is, is that when a, when a believer, somebody who knows the Lord, somebody who has a relationship with God, when, when, when a believer continues in a, in a life of rebellion, or when a believer continues in a life of sexual sin, or when a believer continues in a, in a lifestyle of drug use, as far as God's perspective is concerned, as far as God sees it, it's no different than a believer who's continuing to consult the dead. No different than a believer who's continuing to tap into the powers of darkness. In his mind, it's just as bad. And so rebellion, sexual sin, drug use, those would be categorized as works of the flesh. In other words, it's not a mark of somebody who, who has a relationship with God. It's not a, a mark of somebody who, who's, who's, who, who's had, the, had the spirit of God come into their life and change their life. It's a mark of the flesh. It's a work of the flesh. But speaking of the works of the flesh, the Apostle Paul outlined that again in Galatians chapter 5. But then he went on in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and he talked about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's saying, you know what? You really can have self-control. You don't have to be, 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 be controlled by a substance. You don't have to be ruled by an addiction. You can have self-control. You, you don't have to have a life of rebellion and anger and, and outburst. You can, you, you, can have, you can have joy. You can have peace. You can have patience. How? By getting the Holy Spirit. By having the Holy Spirit come into your life. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he transforms your life. He changes your life. 
fact, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul goes on in Galatians 5.25 and he says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's the life that we've been called to. We've been called to forsake the flesh. We've been called to turn away from the dark things of the flesh. We've been called to live in the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit. That's where the freedom and the forgiveness are. Amen? So Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is practical, albeit hard to hear, it's practical. So Lord, we, we, we look at some of the things in our life and maybe there's some stuff in our life that when you look at it, it's just as wicked and evil as witchcraft. So whatever that is, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come into us, fill us, and change us. And Lord, there's nothing in our lives that you cannot forgive, whether it's abortion or whether it's drugs or whether it's rebellion or crime or you name it, lust, pornography. Lord, every one of those, your spirit can come into us and set us free. We can have a life of self-control, a life of love, a life of peace, a life of freedom because of your spirit that's in us. So Lord, in this place today, we pray less of us and more of you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.